Welcome to Sports Bald, a Baltimore sports collectibles podcast. I'm Danny Black, and in this podcast, I'll be talking about sports cards, collectibles, and the entire hobby industry. We're going to cover topical news, industry guests, and anything else that crosses my mind. I hope you'll subscribe, join us as often as I can get these out, and enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back to Baltimore Sports Collectible, a sports ball podcast. I am thrilled to have uh, somebody who, if you're in the hobby, you certainly know, a man who can just whisper uh, Kyle Tucker and change eBay prices. Uh, I'm thrilled to have uh, from Sports Card Nation, uh, and I'm proud to call a friend of mine, John Newman. How you doing, John? Hey, Danny. Thanks for having me. Appreciate coming on with you. Well, I had to repay the favor because you were uh, nice enough to have me on, and uh, I think you and I are uh, two like-minded people in the hobby, and uh, just getting around to talk cards uh, with, with friends is uh, one of the blessings of what we get to do. So uh, we're going to leave the uh, the real world out of this uh, out of this podcast, and we're going to stick into our little uh, corner of the world and talk cards and sports. How does that sound? Uh, I, like uh, right up my alley. Um, I texted you earlier today, and I said I wanted to uh, talk some vintage. I was at the uh, Strongville uh, Vintage Card Show in uh, outside of Cleveland this weekend, and you'll appreciate this as a, a Steelers fan. I uh, packed my suitcase very quickly, forgot I was going to Cleveland. Everything I packed was Ravens and Orioles. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going around Cleveland, and I've got a Ravens polo on, and I can't figure out why I'm getting dirty looks from everybody. And finally, a buddy of mine says, you know, we're in Cleveland. Um, so That's funny. I, I've heard you talk a lot with Mike Moynihan, one of, one of the uh, great yeah. vintage collectors in this industry. Uh, you've talked about, you know, your, your family. You've talked about getting into this you know, years ago as a dealer, and we're going to get into all that. But, but as a New York guy, where did you grow up? What years did you collect? Let's cut right to the chase of your card love as a kid. Where were you? Yeah, Brooklyn, New York. So I'm a Brooklyn born and raised. And uh, I was a sports kid. I played. Uh, I watched uh, from an early age. My, I was raised by my grandparents and my grandfather, you know, uh, you know, being a sports fan himself, I was just indoctrinated automatically. And the first time I knew baseball cards existed was in 1979. And we went to uh, a corner store, uh, not for cards, but uh, my grandfather had to pick up a few other things. And when we went uh, to the front counter, on that counter was a box of 1979 Topps baseball. And I, I just kind of put two and two together what it was. You know, I saw uh, the baseball player, obviously, on the outside wrapper, and it said cards. And I said, are these, you know, uh, grandpa are these baseball cards he goes yeah he goes would you like a couple packs and when you're you know seven years old and any you know adult grandparent dad mom grandma ask you if you want something you, you, i mean it's an automatic yes you know and so i got a couple packs he bought them i if my memory serves me right uh you know i think they were 25 cents so i got two or three but the first pack I opened, I, I kind of opened it like I, I wasn't even out of the store yet. And I was a Thurman Munson guy, but at I that point, you know, he, <laughs> yeah, he had passed away. And so I was a Yankee fan. Uh, I'm not a Yankee fan now, but I was a Yankee fan at the time. Craig Nettles, Thurman Munson, Reggie Jackson, Willie Randolph. And 
you know, I wasn't a Reggie wasn't my favorite player, but listen, Reggie Jackson's Reggie Jackson. And if you lived in New York, you know, he's Mr. October. He could have run for mayor. You know, they say chicks dig the long ball with well, seven year olds do too. And, uh, you know, so the third card, about the third or fourth card in that pack was, was the Reggie. And I got excited, you know, whether he's my favorite player or not, I knew he's a great player and I just pulled, got him in my pack and the rest is history. And then my friends, you know, I showed my friends, Hey, look, I got a Reggie. And then they start buying packs and they were more enamored with the gum. And so I started, uh, I, I could care less, honestly, about the gum. I was that rare yep. kid that wanted the cards. Now that doesn't mean I didn't get ca cavities, Danny. I just got them on soda uh, instead. I was a big soda kid, which was terrible, but, um, so I would trade my gum and just acquire more, you know, baseball cards at the time. And, um, you know, the rest is really history. That That's where it started. And it just, uh, so I love the fact that you are a Yankees fan, even though I'm an Orioles fan. So uh, you're a Thurman Munson guy. You got a Reggie Jackson. And uh, were you only chasing Yankee players or, or were you going for all the stars? I mean, that was kind of like at first, but then, I mean, I knew for a seven-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid, I was actually pretty good baseball with, with the intelligence. Like I knew the other play, started to know the other players uh, as well. So it was Yankees kind, kind of first, but it wasn't just all about the Yankees. And, um, you know, so I just wanted my whole mindset was just to get as many of these things as I, I humanly uh, could it, Yankees and, and every, everything else. And then, you know, what happened was, uh, you know, certain, you know, other kids, my friends would want certain other teams. And so we would just trade, player for player and uh you know again like the old traditional stories right we didn't know what these things may be worth later on down the line so we're throwing them on the ground or you know on the floor and you know but uh you know that's that's where it started and i really you know i never really stopped it just uh it just picked up from there and uh, i was going to a card store and I was going there pretty much almost every day. And uh, the owner of the card store is like, hey, you know, now I'm 13. The owner of the card store is like, John, you're here so much. I, uh, I need some help. I might as well just put you to work. And uh, we, you know, we, we, you know, worked on like half, half pay and half like store credit, which really was all store credit because I pretty much <laughs> spent the whole thing on more cards and, I did my first show at 15. I was working the shows. Uh, his name was Rudy. I was working the shows for Rudy as he was set up. And basically my job at the shows was I had a skill where I could make monster boxes and shoe boxes like super fast. And he hated, <laughs> he hated it, Danny. Like I was a savior to him because he, he would cut his fingers on the, on the, you know, the serrated edge of the, uh, the cardboard and I just was like, you know, you see those guys making those pizza boxes real quick. That's exactly, I was, yep. yeah, I was doing that with monster and shoe boxes. And so he, he would bring all the unmade boxes to the show and that's all I did. Not very exciting. Uh, but, uh, I was a shy kid too. So that was fine by me. And then I had, you know, by this time, you know, 14 years old, uh, my friends who, you know, didn't have as many cards as I did. Like, 
they realize like you have quite the collection, man. You should do shows yourself. And I'm like, nah, you know, I don't know. And uh, finally, uh, you know, I, I decided, you know, when I was 15, I, I do have a lot of cards. I like getting more. How do you get more? You know, I mean, I wasn't making a ton of money working for Rudy. Well, I'm not complaining, uh, but I'm like, let's see what I could do, you know, doing my own show and try it. If it sucks or doesn't work out, I'll, I won't have to do it again. So uh, I got, well, I'm getting my tax number. Obviously I don't have a license. So, you know, at this point, my, my grandfather had passed away. Uh, my dad was always been in my life. So, uh, you know, he would take me to the show, help me set up and the fir- with the first one, especially. And then he, he, he'd look around a little bit. He's a Brooklyn Dodger guy. Might, might've bought a few Brooklyn Dodger cards and then, uh, took off and would come back at the end of the show and help me pack up and load the car up. And I remember, man, it was, it was textbook. The first show I ever did 15 years old, it's really textbook at how not to be personable. Like I said, I was a shy <laughs> kid. So I just sat, I just sat there, honestly. Uh, I had all my stuff priced. So that part was good. And, uh, you know, one of the things I did is I said, I don't really want to talk to people. I'm shy. I'm sort of an introvert. I want to price everything so I don't, like, if nothing's priced, then I someone's going to, hey, how much is this? I'm interested. So I priced everything for the point of not having to, to banter too much. And, and it's all negotiation. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and, and you know, I'm the youngest kid uh, in, in the room. And there were people who thought, like, my, you know, it was my dad's stuff and he just went to the bathroom or something. So I remember, you know, one guy say, Hey, I'm interested. I can't remember the card. I'm interested in this card, but, uh, you know, I want to see if we can do, you know, if your dad can do better on the price, is he going to be back soon? And, you know, I kind of chuckled inside and I'm like, my dad's, uh, not here. This is my table. And just to look, you know, to look, uh, uh, on his face and, um, but I wound up somehow, I don't know how, Danny, uh, I made $1,500 that day. So here I am, 15 years old, uh, 1987. So $1,500 in, in 1987s more than what we know today, yep. which is still not a bad chunk of change. And I'm 15 years old. I think I'm like, you know, Donald Trump and Rockefeller. And uh, <laughs> I knew, you know, someone asked me, I was on another show and the, the, the host asked me, like, was there a moment when you knew, like, you were in the hobby for the, the long haul? And I always point to that show. Not that it's about money only, but that I, I don't want to make it about money. I already really had the passion for cards and love cards. And I obviously didn't get started in cards to make money. I was spending all my money. But doing that show out of the gate and doing that well, real that was I was in. You know, and um, yep. the the rest is sort of history. And I remember my dad picked me up. He didn't ask me like in in the building. He waited, you know, till we were packed up and got in the car. And uh, how'd you do? And how do you think you did? And there's just a big bulge in my pocket, you know, on, <laughs> on like the driver's side pocket. He's talking about money, you know, people. Was... He's talking about money, people. Yeah. <laughs> And I I didn't pull it out because I you know I got the seatbelt on and I'm um but I just kind of grabbed it and showed him and I said I counted like with a little time left there was a couple late sales but I think there's about fifteen hundred bucks uh 
You know, I don't, I don't even think I said fifteen hundred. I think because I didn't even know how to do that. I just say I said I think there's a thousand five hundred dollars, and uh, he just looked at me like what? Like he had right. no. And oh, that, uh, you that, know, was, that, that would have been weeks worth of pay. Yeah, and just kind of shocked, and uh, so we got home, and uh, like I said, my grandma was still uh, around then, lived with my grandma, and uh, my grandma said, "How'd you do?" And she has no concept of cards or you know she she if i would have told her a couple hundred bucks she would have been that's awesome and and by that time i had counted you know once i got home i really counted it and uh you know it was 50 it was around 1500 bucks and i'm like grandma i made 1500 dollars and i mean she was like you you kidding (laughs) you know and uh uh, my grandma was a Jewish lady, and if you know anything, like they they they're nervous, and you can't you can't walk around with that kind. Of, and at this point, I didn't have a bank account. I had no need for a bank account because I was literally spending every dollar yeah. I got anyway. What am I going to put? She goes, "You can't walk around, Johnny. You can't walk around with that. You got to, you know, you can't go to school. If someone knows, you know, it's New York City. If someone knows you you have that." <laughs> You're, you're, we're, we're opening a bank account. So we opened a bank account and, uh, you know, and, uh, the rest is sort of history. I started doing shows and, um, from there. And, uh, and, and the one thing I, I want to say is even though, you know, I was, I was young, you know, some of the customers, the consumers were kind of, you know, taken aback a little bit or thought, you know, it was my dad's table. Well, most of the dealers in the room, which I, Already kind of knew from working the shows for Rudy, they, they so they knew who I was, mm-hmm. and so they, uh, you know, some of them took me under uh, their wing and 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 helped me out. Rudy, you know, the the, the gentleman I worked for, who, who you know, I've lost track of him. I, I don't even know, honestly, Danny's still alive. I hope he is. But at first, I got a, you know, when I told him, like, hey, Rudy, I appreciate you know you had me work for you. But I think I want to try doing a show, you know, solo and see how it goes. And he was actually mad at me, like, uh, you know, because he was he was going to make all those monster boxes and shoe by. That's what <laughs> probably was going through his mind. I mean, he he literally I don't even remember what he said, but it, it, it wasn't a great conversation. And at that show. So the first one uh, I do, he was there still. And was I just it, got, weird? you know, cold. Yeah, well, we weren't set up that close, but you know, points. He, I, I really couldn't leave the table, unfortunately, because I was there by myself. Um, but I saw him walk walking around, and if we made eye contact, I got sort of that icy stare or dirty look, and that went on for about a year. I got sort of that, uh, you know, that kind of reception, and then, then about a year later, at a show, he came up to me, um, and he extended his hand. He goes, John. Uh, you know, I want to apologize. Uh, you know, I was a little selfish, and uh, uh, I didn't want to lose you. And and but I don't blame you. You know, you're young, and you you want to make some money and enjoy the hobby. And you know, can you forgive me? And I'm like, Rudy, I probably wouldn't let, let be honest with you. I probably wouldn't be be here if it wasn't for you, sort of showing me the rope. So it's all good. And and then we actually started setting up like in the, you know, we usually each had two tables. So we, the the setups were always like a a box. They would be four tables. And so we just started requesting uh, the, this, you know, set up together. By this time he had another, 
he had another uh, young man sort of making replace me making those monster and shoe boxes. But I, I remember at one of these shows, he's like, John, you, this kid's not as fast as you. You want to show him how to do that? And I actually did. I actually, I, you know, just kind of half kidding, but half, I just rattled off a couple and, uh, and he goes, yeah, I missed that man. You, you want to do that while you're here and I'll watch your tables, uh, help yourself. And, you know, we laughed. And so we sort of, we sort of mended fences, it took about a year. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, uh, away we went as far as with the shows and, uh, you know, going ahead, I, I, I wound up opening my first store, uh, at 20 and uh did that for seven years ebay came along kind of doing the cliff notes uh, version here uh and then i uh sold out to my partner i had a partner in the shop and then i just did like the tri-state area travel with shows put stuff on ebay and uh you know went online as 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 al gore's internet took off and uh you know and and the rest is you know we transitioned to that and, and here we are you know 30 something years later and that's uh, crazy well you and i are, are pretty close in age and uh one of the things that you said really resonated with me is that you know you were excited to get a reggie jackson card in 1979 and one of one of the funny things is and one of the reasons that, that i wanted to talk a little vintage today is how different that is if you got a 10th year base card of somebody today that means nothing yep. to us we are so spoiled yeah. with one of ones and refractors and autos um, that that it's a totally different world. Um, when we look at vintage, I'll take an eighth year Kofax. I mean, I, I love that as you know <laughs> as much as anything. You know, so I, I think that's one of the big differences is with vintage cards. You know, rookies of course are great, but you can love a specific year. You can love the look of a set. Um, it doesn't have to be a rookie card. I mean, some guys, you know, certain years are worth more. It's not not necessarily based upon what year they were in the league. Um, and you have true population counts that were, that were under control. And um, and so that that's one of the reasons I love the vintage world. And you talk about being a, a young dealer. When you did shows, when I was at the vintage show in, in Strongville, I'm walking around and I had three dealers uh, look at me and say, son, we don't do modern cards at this show. <laughs> i'm not here for modern cards either so yeah, yeah. but uh i, I think I they just said memory. that like they just assumed like i was well, you, you know were... listen I'm, I'm in my mid-40s i easily yeah. was 30 years younger than everybody in the room I, you know yeah uh, yeah but uh, i thought that was great i've never felt so uh, youthful and spry uh, well, Jesus, I'm I gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make a trip next time with you. Uh, someone oh, call me, son. That'll make my day. I won't even have to buy anything. I just leave. I just hear a couple sons. And I'm like, I'm ready to go. Let's get out of here. Uh, let me tell you, for the first two days, all <laughs> I did was talk about New Balance shoes and comfortable chairs. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So I, 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 I yeah. I, I, this is your show, but you you turned the tables on me when I had you on. So I got to do that with with this question. It's, and it's an age-old question, right? So this is a vintage-only show, which I, I I love that concept. Well, what did they Just determine? Today. Like, it, what did they like? What's the cutoff? What is considered like that's no longer vintage? You can't put that out, and that is like, is it eighty-three? Is it eighty-one? I mean, you ask different people, you're going to get different answers. So how did they? How did they do that? Is it just kind of like, hey, don't put out any new stuff? It wasn't like monitored terribly or how did they work that 
so I wasn't sure going in. That, that was kind of my thought, you know, like, is that just kind of a marketing ploy? We'll call it vintage and it'll still be 30% modern, you know, like a lot of shows. But uh, no, it, it was a, it was really, uh, I would say 99.999% pre-82. I would say Ripken's Rookie yeah. was the last, probably the last card I saw consistently. Now, maybe that's a factor in the 83 set. You don't have, you know, quite quite the same Hall of Fame rookie level cards. Um, but I think that 82 seemed to be the cutoff. I, I saw uh, the, the Ripken traded uh, a couple times. That was probably the newest card I saw consistently. But you're also talking about, I mean, one of the coolest things about this show is the boxes of commons on the vintage years. Uh, guys, yeah. and a lot of PSA registry collectors, a lot, a lot of guys uh, finishing sets. And, and I, I miss that world. I, you know, I think the last couple of years doing the national and, and Chantilly I'm doing this weekend, just getting back into kind of that old school mentality. Cause when we did shows, there was none of these newer cards. I mean, the, the whole, the whole mentality of doing a show is so different now. Um, yep. so when I go to Chantilly and, and I'm talking about minor league prospects and, you know, Bowman first, and, you know, that's going to be a, a lot of the business there. At this show, I'm talking Lou Elsinder rookie cards, <laughs> Pete Maravich, yep. and uh, uh, so one of the things that I actually thought about when I was there is specifically in the 50s, um, how beautiful a lot of the cards were, and, and I think how that really you know changed the entire industry from you know roughly 48, you know 51, the early tops to the official 52. So I told you I wanted to talk vintage day for no good reason. I just uh, I, I just wanted to talk. Uh, Fifty-seven tops has been on my mind. Um, I, I am. I think I'm talking myself into collecting the set. Do you have a favorite fifties set? I I know it's cliche, Danny. Uh, you know the fifty-three is is tremendous. I mean, you you almost have to mention them. Um, you know, it's almost like a, a a disqualifier. You almost have to ask that question and say, "All right, you can't say fifty-three tops." Everyone sort of loves it it's one of those it's got you know what tops was yeah and when tops kind of started doing like you know making like the newer players with on the older that was the first design they even went to they 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 knew and the 52 um i i like the 57 tops too uh i I have a lot of the brooklyn dodgers in that Uh, my dad gave me some it's just you know a lot of like right there a lot of close-ups uh, of facial features, uh, which I, I think is a huge thing, is there's something about those big face-ups where you see the player, right? Or we think about, we think even some of the newer cards, 89 Upper Deck Griffey, 84 Donruss Manley, but 57 also stands out as like the first time for that I really remember, you know, other than, I mean, 53 too, but uh, uh, it just, there wasn't a lot blocking design-wise blocking the picture, just the, the name and the team, and it was sort of almost translucent. As you can see there, you can kind of see through that as well. So it was really unobstructed. And uh, I, I so I'd say, not just because you said it, uh, without you, I would have said uh, 57. Now, 52 is nice too, but again, that's like saying 53. I, I think, you know, I hate to say it like this, it's 52, 53, 57. Nothing against those other years, but those, you know, I, I think those are the first three out of that uh, decade. I like 65 tops mm-hmm. uh, as well with the pennant, uh, the pennants and um, 63 with that, the circle picture as well as the, the main 
uh, picture I like that. I another one I like. I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying not to name them all. The sixty yeah. tops with right. the with the horizontals, uh, you know, and and the two photos. And so I remember having a lot of the sixty tops back in the day and just buying that from people. Just could, not, not not even so much to resell, just because I liked it. Like I didn't care if I sold it or I didn't sell. It. I just was fond of it. So. 60, 65, 57, you know, 53, um, you know, was probably the big four, whatever order you, you want to put them in. Um, one of the one of the reasons I know you know this, but for the listeners out there, the 57 tops was the first year they used full photography. Uh, it was yep. it was the first year that there wasn't a colorized or a drawing over top. So exactly what you're talking yep. about, that full that full face, that full shot. And uh, it was also the first time they did the career stats on the back, not just a single year. Yep. So I, I, I love just the fact that we take that for granted, you know, growing up, reading the stats of their whole career uh, up until 57, you couldn't do it. And then being yep. a Baltimore guy, you're talking about the Brooks and Frank, both their rookie cards yeah. in one set. Um, so so I, I'm partial to 57 just kind of, kind of for those reasons. Uh, the 55 Bowman, do I have that right with the television? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like those, but I yeah. You know, so that was a big conversation. It depended on the day. It didn't. It depended on the day. If you asked me on a Monday, I thought they were kind of cool, and then they kind of they wore out on me. I'm like, uh, you know, it's kind of. I didn't like them as much, you know, two days later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's classic, right? I mean, it brought. I mean, talk about nostalgia. They made it like mm -hmm. the old uh, TV sets that uh, you know. Even though I'm I'm born in '72. Some of those TVs were still in circulation, uh, you know, when you weren't rich and you couldn't upgrade yet. And so whether it be at my house or go to a friend's house or or you see it in another room, right, it's just holding on for, for dear life. It wasn't maybe the main TV, but, uh, right, you know, no one threw stuff away like we do uh, today, right? And so uh, I'm familiar with the, the, the actual TV sets, Uh uh, you know, and uh, so yeah, the cards again, I, I liked them some days and I didn't, but yeah, classic. You say, as soon as you said 55, I said TV set in my head. So, well, just word me, what, what other years we can be honest, what other years do you not like? Um, we can we, we, we can talk about cards, they're not, people. yeah, I, I'm not fond of 58 and 59, uh, they're not terrible. I just think some of the other years around that were so good that it fell short as far as design wise. I'm not, obviously we're not talking about the players themselves. We're talking about uh, the car design. Um, I love 60. 61 isn't terrible with kind of the one line divided on the bottom. 62 with the wood borders. I, I like those. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on 62 politely. Yeah. You know, I respect yeah. you. Um, I, I think it looks like the old station wagon uh, panel. Yeah. yeah, the old surfing wagon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 64 was pretty good with the big white top with the, the team name. Uh, I already talked about 65. But that's one of my favorites. 66, I'm not, you know, not a big fan of. And, and, there, um, and there we go again because I like the '66. I think that's a very classic tops look. Yeah, to me that, you know that that's that very clean, you know, very sweet look. Um, and I'm I I I like that. All right, so here's the one I, I just going kind of year by year. The one I really don't like, even to this day, is the '68. Again, 
kind of that wood that wood grainy. I I thought they were sort of trying to go back to sixty two, or they mm-hmm. were just running out of design ideas, and they someone just said, ah, let's try to kind of not make it look exactly like sixty two, but sort of like sixty two. So the sixty eight, obviously, it's got Ryan's rookie in it. I mean, I'm not, again, we're not talking about. Uh, the you know the the rookie card uh, selection or the players we're talking about design. I'm not a fan of the the 68. Uh, the 69s are sharp with the the circle with the with the name and team name and uh, you know then you get into the 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 years I'm actually more familiar with because now I'm I'm on the planet you know and uh, uh, you got your seven the 70s with the gray just too much gray. I'm Looks like a jail cell. Like, yeah. yeah, the jail cell cards. Uh, 70, not great design, but what's kind of cool about them because they're the black borders, if you get a decent shape one of those, you, you change your mind on it all of a sudden. Like, well, oh, I like man. the 72s, but when you get into like the 75, 76, I think they look very much in the 70s. You know, yeah. I, I think yeah, they're very the much of the time. I mean, the George Brett rookie. Look. Yeah, the George Brett yeah. rookie to me. Um, is it says you know you don't have to know anything about baseball and you say that's from 1970s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, 76. I know some people don't like it, but uh, I, I don't. I don't hate it, you know. And then uh, I think then when you got to the late 70s, even though that's when I kind of started, you know, at the time I loved it because I was I was brand new. But now looking back, you get into that late 70s, early 80s. It's not. Not great, not great. Uh, you know, I'm not fond of of the designs now. When you're a kid, and you don't, you're not thinking on that level. You just getting as many cards as you want. I like Henderson's rookie year. I got it right here. You know that that was a cool card. I thought I'll hold it up there. I love that. You know, Henderson you you, rookie. Uh, you know, kind of yeah. sort of like the '65. You got the pennant, but you also have that. That top well, that, that's, the position. That's the clean look. That's the clean look I like. Yeah. The, the Murray rookie, the seventy-eight. Um, that that's my taste. Yeah, I, I like the eight. I like the eighties more than the the nineteen eighty tops more than the seventy-eight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we got into the eighty. You know, and you could see. I don't know if you agree with this, Danny. You could see top sort of borrowing from the past now with the eighties. You think about the eighty-three tops, right? The Boggs Gwynn year. What do, what do you think of Ali? I think of the sixty three. They kind of it, what was it? Eighty two was the first year Dunruss and Fleer got the license. Also, yeah. So I eighty one, eighty one, eighty one. Right. So I think Tops uh, didn't know how to handle that. I, I think they went back to their roots. I think that's exactly what you're describing. Is they they tried to say, remember us? This you know, uh, don't don't yeah. go to those new brands. You know, remember us. Um, but and you know the other I one think, that I think is horrible is this. It was the sixty three Fleer. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah, how some stars should sell with that. the yeah with, with a bunch of the stars. Yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah, I'm not a fan. I like 85 tops. I know it's not. It's kind of bait. I, I don't know. It's. it's I got a I thing for tops. like pennants. I got a thing for like diagonal pennants. Apparently, I have a a pennant a pennant fetish for cards that do you, do you uh, actually subconsciously coming out? Huh? Do you collect actual pennants or just on cards? No, I just like the design apparently on card i guess I, I it's this is almost like a therapy session you drew it out of me by talking about it. like i didn't know it was deep-seated 
uh, in there. But I, I have some, even like 85 Donruss. That's one of my favorite sets of all time, as crazy really? as that sounds. Yeah. See, I, love some with the, I love 84 the, tops, but I don't love the early Donruss. See, I like eight. I, I, I'm not, I don't hate 84 tops, but the 84 Donruss I thought was really sharp with the ribbon at the bottom. And you had the, the Manly Rookie, which is, was a big thing uh, where yeah. I was, a big facial. And, you know, they stopped doing a lot of the facial uh, close-ups on cards at that point. They were doing a lot of inactions or guys standing on the base or in the batter's box. Mm-hmm. And that Manly was like, boom, you know, right at you. He was he was uh, one of the hottest cards. I mean, I remember opening, mm-hmm. I don't know how much, 84 Donners. At 12 years old. You know, I think I was sticking kids up at school to buy. I'm kidding. If anyone's listening, don't, you know, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was that I just had 84 Donruss on the brain. Um, and that's what you do when when those new companies came in the, into the picture, Fleer and Donruss uh, first, is that's what you did. You compared like, you know, 83. Mm-hmm. I liked tops over Fleer and Donruss. 82. I liked Tops over for him, but 84 Donruss won that competition for me. 85, that competition was close. Uh, uh, 85 Donruss, there's something about I, I like the black borders with the, with the colored again, diagonal kind of striping. They did the Manly Winfield card, I think you probably remember that the mm-hmm. race for the batting crown, and uh, you know, that was a big thing in, in New York. and. Uh, so 85 Donruss won that, but it was a close second uh, with 85 tops. Fleer, uh, I didn't like the 85 Fleer design. And then, you know, we he did that every year. And then Score, obviously, came on the scene, Upper Deck, uh, and, uh, you know, Leaf in 1990. And, uh, you know. I think that's when you uh, and I took a pause. <laughs> yeah, I Ninety, I like the ninety leaf. It was, you know, ninety leaf. If you remember, and at, at this it's point, the, they were the the white one with the silver print. Yeah, that was yeah. sort of. It's I. You laugh now, but at the time, that was like premium. That was like the prices were higher, the packs were higher priced, and it wasn't even Griffey's rookie. But the Griffey was selling like it was his yep. rookie card. You know, I remember that card going for like. 25 40 bucks and it wasn't the 89 upper deck was the second year and uh you well, have jackson wise, well design wise i think the upper deck put pressure on everybody i think that's why you saw all the uh flag yeah they that. they kind of stuck their flag in the ground and said hey let's go and uh you're right i think it 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 really pushed you know the other brands to like hey there's a new kid in the box. they're putting holograms on the back of cards hey, what is this how yeah, state. I'm a big stadium club guy, even to this day. Um, mm-hmm. Just the photography uh, oh, exactly. and that glossy card, and um, you know, so they all tried to like. Well, like you said, it brought out it brought out that competition. Yep. You know, uh, to like, hey, you know, all the other companies say, "Tops, we know you got a head start on us, but uh, we're here now too, and uh, we can take what you've done and kind of, you know, see, you know, see you and raise you one." So. Uh, and I think it was good, and then we all know what happened <laughs> from right. there too. All, all of us had to get real jobs after that. Uh, so, <laughs> so a couple of things. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fess up to you because I, I I don't I, you and I for, for those of you who don't know, 
John is a Steelers fan. He grew up a Yankees fan. He's now a Mets fan. I hope I have that all correct. That's I'm correct, a, yep. I'm a diehard Orioles, diehard Ravens fan. Uh, so we basically disagree on everything in the sports world, uh, except we get along and we, uh, I think we, we see the world the same way from an ethics and value standpoint. Um, so th- out of that trust and honesty in our friendship, I'm going to fess up on air something I've never fessed up before. <laughs> I, was a huge, I was a huge Don Mattingly fan. I love Don Mattingly. Yeah, and you know what? I, he, he he didn't do a lot of talking. He kind of just did his play with his. I mean, there's Red Sox fans that will tell you, like, "Hey, man, I hated the Yankees, but I respected Don Manley." And that's, I mean, that's from a Red Sox fan. So that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's it's cool to get that out there, and you feel better, and it's off your chest. But <laughs> he was one of those kind of guys, like, uh, you know, eight, yeah, eighty five, eighty six. Uh, about 84, I'd say, uh, even though I was a Manly fan, that's when I started to change allegiance to the Mets. It's when Steinbrenner was really just like just too much meddling with everything, doing press. He was doing more talking than the players, trading dudes, firing managers, you know, seven games in, hiring Billy Martin 18 times. I just remember saying, like, you can't even get a favorite player on the Yankees because – you know, they, they don't, they don't stick. If, if Steinbrenner wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, he's going to ship him out. But I, even when I changed the Lions, like Don Manley, it was still one of my favorite players. I wasn't a Yankee fan any longer, but just the way he played, didn't do a lot of trash talking, uh, didn't do a lot of talking, period, and yep. just went about it. You know, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I know he's sort of on that, that line, that uh, cusp line. To me, he's the Gale Sayers rule. You know, you you had that period and you had an injury. And and was that period good enough? To me, it was. I've heard Cal Ripken talk about Mattingly, and Cal talks, they say he was the best player of that that era. So when you you have, you know, a first ballot Hall of Famer deferring to somebody else, uh, that's all you need to know. Yeah, hit for average, and he hit some home runs. I wouldn't classify him. As a home 30, run hitter, 35, 35 plus home runs in the eighties was a real. Was, it, I mean, to me, to me was was legit power. That's one of the reasons I loved him. I thought he was, you know, kind of the five tool guy. He was a great defensive guy. Maybe he didn't steal bases, four tool guy, but he was yeah. an old glove first baseman. I think people forget yeah. that also. Yeah, I put him in again. I'm biased being from New York, so you know, for the two cents uh, that goes along with that. But he, like, like Ripken said. I mean, and Ripken, if, if anyone knows hitters, right, it's going to be someone that's a pretty good hitter in their own right. And, uh, you know, saw him firsthand. Look, division rivals, uh, heated rivals for, you know, Ripken's a nice guy. He doesn't really say anything bad about him. But for him to say that, I think that tells you uh, a lot there. And I, I hope he gets in, uh, you know, someday. Maybe it'll take, you know, we're managing with the Marlins and, and some winning season. Hopefully it, you know, whether it's the veterans committee someday and hopefully he's around to, to enjoy that honor. I think, I don't think too many people, you know, you, I'm sure you have a few people say, ah, I don't know if he's, you know, we can make an argument, but I think most people I think if you ask most baseball fans who, who know the game, especially from, like you said, that era, um, they, they'll say that man is a hall of famer. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I, I hope I hope one day uh, he gets in. You know, I mean, nothing against Gil Hodges, my my Brooklyn Dodger guy, and he he got in yep. this year. I mean, I, I think 
they're both very good, but I think most people would tell you it's hard to compare the 80s, 90s to the 50s and, and 60s. Well, but if you had to, if you I, had I think to most people, if you had to pitch I, against Jim Rice or Don Mattingly, who who would you rather face? To me, I'd pitch to Jim Rice and avoid Mattingly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're more likely to get a, a double play ball or a strikeout. Uh, you give you could give up a home run, but either guy could could take you out of the, out of the park. So, I think you know Manley is just more of a, a pure hitter. That's uh, he's it was a clutch guy too. You know, he was. Uh, I know they didn't win a, a lot of World Series at that time, and uh, but you know they didn't surround Manley with. They didn't give him a lot of help really. That was the Steinbrenner like just tinkering with everything like it was a Rubik's cube, which is why I kind of got off the, the bus. But uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, you know, how many people disagree. Agree. I, I think Manley was a better, you know, first baseman than Gil Hodges. They both, they were both solid defensively. That might be a push, but I mean, Manley was, I think a better pure hitter and, and not that Gil Hodges was a bad hitter, but, and again, you're comparing different errors, but not that far off, you know. I mean, not like today's game to to then. It was it was closer, but that's I, one of the I, I love I, about baseball though is we can have this conversation. I think it is fair yeah. to compare, and I think Mattingly was better than. I think that's okay to say. Yeah, and 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 I wonder if Hodges getting in this year, Danny, kind of will open, make the road to get in for Manly a little bit more accessible. I wonder. It's a good, you know, good question. Well, well I mean, whether well, that kind of opens the door. I'll, I'll give one. A Maryland guy who could not be nicer. I, I, I truly have met this man. I, he, he's one of the, the salt of the earth type of guys, uh, Harold Baines. Uh, he, he's from Maryland. I had a very long career. Uh, tremendous uh, left-handed hitter, DH for most of his career. Uh, you know, I, I, you and I both watched him, I think, his whole career. It, yeah. I, there's a lot of players that I would uh, pitch around before Howard Baines, if I were to make a list. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I, that, I, that's I, a tough one for me. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have put him in. I, I kind of, you know, thinking back when he played and watching him, I thought he was very good. I didn't think he was great. And I think you, you have to use at some point, maybe not the whole career, but at some point during a, a player's career, that's going to be in the hall of fame. Eventually you have to use the word great. At some point, even if you don't say their whole career is great, but you they're, they're mentioned as great at some some point, uh, you know. And I I don't think Harold, you know, I I guess the close he's a great pinch hitter, especially uh, in his latter years, uh, the clutch in that department. But you know, uh, like you said, DH people do penalize you for not playing defense, and uh, you know, players who played will tell you, man, I would have hit. More home runs, I would have hit for a higher average if all I had to do was bat and and not worry about the error I made two innings prior and let that affect me uh, in the box. And uh, you know, I, I mean, it's not Harold Burns' fault per per se, although some people would say, well, John, if he was good defensively, he probably wouldn't have been a DH. So I don't, you know, I don't know. But uh, again, nothing against Harold Burns. Like you said, a, a, a nice guy, but. Uh, you know, probably falls a little short, but yet here he made his way in. Can't take can't take him out, and that's the risk when you put certain guys like that in. Um, it sort of lowers that bar, and then you say, well, if he's in, then this person mm -hmm. definitely in, and that's where the risk 
uh, comes in. And, you know, I hear people say if there's – and I don't agree with this, Danny. I'll, I'll get your take on it. You know, I've heard, you know, sports people say if if we can debate whether that person's in, they shouldn't be in. Like people should be in, should be sort of consensus. And I don't agree with that because there's a lot of even great players that some people won't be a consensus on. So if you play, if you play hard and fast by that rule, there'll be a lot of guys not in that definitely should still be in. And so I don't agree with that, but I'll say this. If the debate is really, really heated uh, and it, it's a, it's a closely contested uh, debate, then you have to start to look and, uh, I think Harold Baines definitely fits that uh, description. Uh, there's some other. I mean, Phil Rizzuto, again, that nice guy. But if you look, I mean, I mean, he he just played where they won a lot of World Series, and I mm-hmm. think he benefited uh, from the rings. But when you look at uh, sort of the the resume, he wasn't ter- I mean, obviously wasn't terrible, but very good. I don't know if you say great uh, with Phil Rizzuto. Uh, you can do that with a, a lot of guys. Actually, even with the shortstop position in, in general in, in baseball, we can, you know, Nelly Fox, you know, some gold gloves. But, you know, I, I look at Nelly Fox's record and I'm like, I, I mean, he's he was a very good player, good player. But I just don't, you know, you gotta you got to watch where that cutoff Omar, is. When, yeah, when people talk about Omar Vizquel, I get it. But no. <laughs> you know, I. Listen, I, I almost think the, there should be yeah. like a defensive wing of the Hall of Fame. Like, well, hey, Ozzie, this, Smith, Ozzie Smith, you know, there's your champion. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, there's the overall is not a Hall of Famer, but man, this guy was lights out on defense. We got to give him some, like, you know, there's the, a writer. Like wing. the Rawlings Hall of Fame. We should do the Rawlings yeah. uh, Goyle Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, there's a writer's, there's the writer's wing at all. Hey, this is the defensive players wing. It's actually not a bad idea at all. Yeah, so these are <laughs> defensive Hall of Famer, right? Defensive Hall. You have your right. regular Hall of Fame, which is both hitting and defense overall. Everyone gets in. Good. And then you so have we can, your move, we can move Ozzy Smith over. We can put Luis Aparicio yep. in there. Yeah, uh, yep. you know we can get we can get Andrew, Andrew Jones. We can we can put back in there who who when I worked yep. for the Braves, Omar Vizquel gets play. into that that Vizquel area. Gets in there. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I love this. I think we should start this, John. Yeah, we'll start the petition <laughs> with the first two signatures on that petition. Yeah. But it, it's right, well, true. Like, yeah. I think you got to play. I think you got to be both. I think you got to be both. And, uh, you know, Ozzy Smith, not a, I mean, great player. Um, but, you know, he's just a really great guy. Uh, and I think, I think being a great guy helps you get in. Uh, I, I think that's just sort of a no brainer. I think being sort of a, a bristly guy can, can hurt you a little bit. Uh, too, uh, you know. So, well, that, you know, Eddie Murray. Probably, we'll keep the politics. Eddie Murray wasn't the nicest guy. Yep. Andre Dawson was sort of kind of kept to himself, and they got in. They're both Hall of Famers, but I don't believe they. Uh, and I don't know about Eddie Murray. I'm not sure he might have been first ballot, but I, I remember when he was in the discussion to get in. There was people arguing against it, which there really wasn't any, but they were kind of pointing to the. You know, he didn't didn't talk to the media, kind of rude. And it's not, you know, it's not Hall of Nice Guy. It's Hall of Fame based on what they do uh, on the field. I mean, if you know, so I I, I don't take uh, any of that. That stuff doesn't factor to, to me. So, but to some. 
Well, you know, I'm a big fan of your podcast, and uh, you talked recently about some of the young players in the league uh, looking forward to kind of where, where there was value in cards in the market. So, uh, we, you know, we've started this conversation kind of back in the 50s. We've brought it all the way now into current players and uh, just kind of put a bow on this. Uh, I, I know you mentioned uh, the guys that you know, that you look at that I think everybody knows, Soto, Okuna, Tatis, Otani, and I agree with you, Otani counts as a young uh, prospect and player. Um, but what I really love to talk about is that next group of guys. Cause you know, a lot of people are in this to make some money and, and yep. it's where, where are those opportunities? Uh, now I heard you bring up somebody who surprised me on your podcast, um, in a happy way. And I, and I, let me tell you, never, ever am I rooting for you to be right more than I am with Ryan Mountcastle. So, uh, yep. uh let me tell you, when you put him in that conversation from an outsider's perspective, I'm in Baltimore, you know, we, we've been watching him for years. From an outsider's perspective, uh, you find Ryan Mountcastle to be a very investable uh, player right now. I like him. When you look at, you know, like you said, listen, sometimes we don't always like to make it about dollar signs, but it also is, too. To, 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 not, to not talk about that is, is sort of put burying our head in the sand, too. When you look at what his stuff's going for, Danny, I'm sure you know, being a, an Orioles guy, he is, like, super affordable and when you look at what he did last year, what he's done uh, as he's come up through the minor league ranks, uh, good, pretty solid defensive player, and uh, is actually can play multiple positions as well. So, uh, uh, you know, I I like the guy. I'm, I I love guys when their their values are just too low for the talents they are. You know, you look at Bobby Witt. I think Bobby Witt is going to be a great player, and the scouts do too. But his stuff, you know how this goes. You see these bone guys haven't even done nothing yet on the major league level. It's all speculation. And they're bringing four figures, right? And Montcastle uh, did it already. I know it's, you know, small sample size. But I just think bar an injury, this guy's going to have – he's going to be one of those guys uh, – I'll, I'll see what you say about this. I think I said this during that, that episode. He's going to have one of those, you know, 10 to 15, 16, 17-year careers – it's not gonna is it's not gonna be overwhelming, but then when you look at that that card, right, and you look at the the totals uh, at the bottom of that card, you know you're gonna be like, holy smokes! I didn't realize he was putting this kind of career together, and he's gonna kind of. I know it sounds crazy in today's day and age with all the apps and technology and analytics. He's gonna be one of those guys that's gonna get sort of overshadowed by some of these other young players who are a little more flashy. Maybe playing a bigger, more successful kind of baseball city, but at the end of the at the end of the day, I think people are going to be surprised at the career. You know, again, I don't want to, you know, jinx him. Barring injury, this guy's going to put together probably a Hall of Fame career. He's, I he sort of I don't know if you agree with this. He he sort of has like a Ripken esque sort of quality to him. Sort of just kind of goes about his business. Not not a lot of talking. Um, you know, kind of does what he's asked to do, whether it's play uh, different positions. And uh, uh, I, I like the guy. I like them, you know, uh, early on. Reading, I, I'm a, you know, I, I, I play fantasy leagues. I play in dynasty leagues where we actually have a minor league draft. And, yep. and uh, you know, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to get him. Uh, but uh, in in my league, but uh, I was on him. Someone else uh, was on him too, and, and picked him before me. But 
uh, just like just like his game and uh, doesn't get talked about enough. And so I made you know I made a point to include him in there. You know, part of me was like I shouldn't talk about him because I might let the you know <laughs> I'm, I'm half kidding here, but like it's nice being able to buy him. Uh, you know some uh, you know autos and colored uh, rookies and 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 not have to you know mortgage the house to do and I'm like if I start talking about them more it might get a little little trickier to do that but I also want to give credit uh, where credits due you know another guy Kyle Tucker uh, he's mm-hmm. he's poised uh, to have he could he could he's one of my dark horse MVP mm-hmm. candidates. Uh, this year and he's another guy you know we all like to talk about the Sotos and the Kunas and and Otani and, and rightfully so you look at the their bodies of work uh, to defend them but I also like the other guys who are right there and just don't get talked about enough and uh, so Tucker and, and Mod Castle you know another guy I didn't uh, I don't think I mentioned them or, or just real brief like you know Raphael Devers I, I know that's you know I love, I love Devers yep but, uh, you know, and people think he's older than he is because he came up when he was like 18, 19 yep. <laughs> years old. That's the that's the thing. When a guy comes up young, they feel like they're 30 and they're like 25. I mean, he's, he's really right. I was about to say he's only like 25. And he's been but people for, think he's older because, yeah, yeah, because he's been in the league now for four or five years. And people think they ought to make the age. Same thing with Otani. You know, people say, well, he played in Japan for three, four years. He's. You know, he's but he's still not that old, and that's why he's in that uh, conversation. You know, someone uh, with that show. You know, I got a I got a message from someone that, that was a little upset. They're like, "Why no Jordan Alvarez?" And uh, I like Jordan Alvarez. I I like him, but again, you know, it's a whole DH argument. I think Jordan Alvarez could win the MVP. Yep. You know, uh, but. Uh, you know, you can't mention anyone, everybody. So, you know, someone's going to get their, their feelings hurt. But I, I like Jordan. I just – I like guys that play defense and offense. And he, he does play. I and mean, he's not a, always a full-time DH. But he plays a – he's, you know, a lot of a lot of DH being in the American League and allows them to get another bat in there uh, with them. And uh, – uh, but I, I, I have no – no, I'm not against Jordan Alvarez. I just, you know – after it's funny, after I kind of edited the show, put it in the hopper, you know, I said, Man, I, I didn't mention Alvarez, I probably should have, but you know, I, I think it was the DH bugaboo that kind of uh, left them on the outside looking in. Well, you know, when I introduced you, I, I, I was, was kidding, but uh, you know, that you can move the market just by mentioning Kyle Tucker. Uh, I, I thought that was a tremendous call by you. I, he was one of the, the guys I've absolutely been loading up on. Um, and, yep. and I, 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 one of the things I look at a lot of time are, are the rebound guys, guys that were the top prospects, either had, had a, a non-major injury or just a couple of years of learning or the, you know, the pandemic, you know, put a little hiccup in their career, but they have a, they're, they're young, they're talented, and they've got a full career ahead of them and their card prices are down. Um, and I think yep. there's a lot of those guys and that, and that's what, you know, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you like, you know, making money on some of the newer cards, um, that's my personal strategy. I, I try not to overpay on guys because at this point we're, we're can Tatis go with value or, you know, how they, they can only almost live up to their value. It's hard to even surpass where they're. Yeah. The ceiling, is. the ceiling's not as high and that's yeah. kind of, you know, I wanted to mention them because they're too talented to, to not. That would sure. be completely unfair. So I don't 
But that's why I focused a little bit on the in the Tuckers and the Mont Castles of the hobby world because the ceiling is is definitely higher for what their what their cards are selling for. And, and you, you hit it right on the head, Danny. If you're gonna buy cards with that premise in mind, right? You, I mean, Soto's arguably probably the best in the bunch potentially, but like you just said, his his this cards ain't cheap. So <laughs> that ceiling, you're, you're almost touching it. You just put your, yep. your hands like this and you're, you're right there. Now, if you're a Soto fan, if you're a nationals guy, you just want to get everyone or, or just PC him. I, I get that. But if, you know, again, I know people, I know some people kind of cringe when we talk about the financial or the investment part of the hobby, but to not talk about it or not acknowledge it is, is, is being disingenuous. I'm not going to do it. It, it. I know certain people get time uh, turned off when that conversation comes up, uh, but I think more people uh, care about that than don't. Let me put it that way. And and, well, and I, so I we have to. I was about to say, I think it's also a baseball conversation. We're talking about guys, where they are in their career, you know, and, and, and yeah. their potential. Um, you know, when I look at, at a Lou Bob, you know, and, and there's Alec Baum, I, I think there are guys that, you know, even though there, there's some accomplishments in their past, their prices are so far down from where they were. Um, there's nothing wrong yeah. with, you know, getting a great talent at a good price. Yeah, and you mentioned a guy, Tatis, right? Now, the injury thing's starting to become sort of a, seems like almost every year thing he's not putting – full seasons together, but sometimes that's a great opportunity to buy. If you think, hey, this is more of an anomaly rather than a trend, that's when you buy them. Like I've I've got a ton of you know, we, we didn't I didn't even mention them on that show. Uh so not, no one can accuse me of pumping and dumping. <laughs> but I love I love Lewis Robert. Uh and you know when he got hurt, you know that's the thing in this hobby. You know this as well as I do. A guy gets an injury and everyone like jumps off the ship, like the the sky is falling. Like people get hurt. That people get hurt in the the forties, the fifties, the sixties. Like this is not a a new trend. Like I I don't get the phenomenon that people do when someone gets hurt and everyone just bails. Like I that's when I like to buy. I like to you know it's, you, you've heard buy the dip. Now you know Tatis is starting to. I'm not going to lie. Tatis is starting to scare me a little bit when it comes mm -hmm. to these uh, injuries. It seems like every year it's going to be a 30, 40 games kind of missing uh, from the, 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 the record. Uh, but Lewis Robert got hurt, you know, one time he came back and played pretty well. And so uh, I'm not going to penalize him for it. If other people want to like have a fire sale with them, I'm going to get my PayPal out and say, Hey, uh, I'll, I'll buy your losses and hopefully they're, they're wins. But you mm -hmm. get, you don't know. You don't know, maybe they're maybe they're smart. I'm dumb. It, you know that time will time will tell that story. But I mean, that's how you you know you either you got to take a, a chance on a guy if you think a guy is talented. I think he is, and uh, an injury is just an injury. Uh, I've been hurt. I when I you know played sports, uh, uh, I played again, and and you know I I don't. It's the you know what have you done for me lately mentality when the guy's not playing. People like oh, I'm on to the next guy already. Like this guy's going to be back in like three weeks, not three years, <laughs> not never. Like three weeks, right? And um, but people like it's just it's you know it, it's it's that mentality. That's that's the biggest change to me. One of the biggest changes in the hobby from from years ago is you know just the 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 swings of getting off and on players. You know. 
uh, you know, switching up the basketball real quick. You know, Bobo has like a monster scrimmage game, right? Everyone's selling this <laughs> stuff for crazy money. Where is he now? Like, I don't even know if he's like in the, like, uh, I didn't have a lot of his stuff, but man, when that day, I'm not going to lie about it. I, I, I didn't even have it listed, but I put it on there and, and kind of cashed out. It was like the casino. I'm like, I'm cashing out now before, uh, you know, the slot luck change. And, uh, yep. you know, that's how people are in the hobby. And, and, you know, not my style. I'm in it for the long haul. I've done it for almost 40 years. Uh, I'll probably do it till it's over for me. And, uh, uh, meaning life. And uh, so if someone wants to get off, you know, sh- uh, the ship just because a guy gets hurt and going to be out a couple weeks, uh, then I'm, and I think that's just, uh, just a normal injury. That's not going to be a long-term one. And I'm going to, you know, kind of cash in on that, you know, mentality. And uh, I don't, I don't feel bad about it. I'm, I'm not the only one that does that either. And uh I just think that's smart. Doesn't make me right either, right? Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to jinx him, but you know, Lewis Robert could be an injury prone player. We don't, we you never know. You know, Zion Wilson, uh, Williamson is another guy that I'm a little leery now. Tatis, I kind of said that on that program you mm-hmm. you mentioned. You know, when these injuries start to be sort of a yearly thing, and it almost they almost get known more for that. Than what they do when they're they're on the playing surface, that's where I start to to, to worry a little bit more. But you know, well, you, you never alluded, know. You alluded earlier to to the, you know a lot of the Bowman first prospects and and, and a lot of the young guys that yeah. don't even play. Um, and, and to me, one of the things I, I've really found kind of fascinating is, is the whole top prospect list. You know, as long as you're on the top prospect list, the, the top 100, and the top 50, and the top 10, that seems to be the stock market for prospects. And then when they graduate to the majors and they get their 150 at bats and they, you know, no longer qualify for the prospect list, it seems like their value just disappears, um, just because they're no longer on a prospect list. And I think that's what we're, some of these guys were talking about. Where they, they've graduated to the majors, they still have talent. They're young players. They're just not on a prospect list. And, uh, you know, the older I get, the I think the more uh, people just buy off prospect lists, the, the more inefficient I, I think that strategy is. Yeah, well, I, I think I know the answer why. Let me see what you think. Me and you will watch games. And the games we don't watch, right, what do we do either that night at, you know, at 10, 30, 11 o'clock or the next morning, right? Mm-hmm. We check out all the box scores. A lot of times I don't even have to do that because I don't know about you, but I, I play fantasy baseball. <laughs> So I already know sort of what everyone did the night before. I I actually put a a question this week uh, on my my Twitter, and I asked, I said, if you play fantasy baseball, you know, does playing fantasy sports give you an advantage in the hobby? Now, answering my own question, I feel it does. But right now, I think it's it's only got a few hours left, believe it or not. And I think it's like 44 uh, I put the three three options. I put yes, no, and the third option was a comical one, and it was I still think Matt Harvey's good, which means I don't really follow. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's 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 forty it's forty four percent no's. I think it's twenty seven percent yes, and then uh, the the last or thirty it's forty four thirty and twenty six. Matt Harvey is still good, oh, and I'm a little hilarious. surprised. 
I'm a little surprised by that, Danny. That for, you know, now I don't know that any everyone answering that question plays. You know, I asked like if you play fantasy baseball, do you like? There's probably people answering that poll that don't, and they're just answering it. As well, I think you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Like you said, yeah. you know, we're, we're watching and we know what we see. You know, I follow, follow the minor leagues. If you, yep. you guys, if you don't know, there's a minor league app. You can watch minor league games and you know, see some of these prospects every night. Um, that not, and it's, there's not expensive. Yeah. free plug. I, I won't even mention it. There's three or four great, you know, talking about podcasts. There's three or four great minor league podcasts where mm-hmm. that's all they talk about. Mm-hmm. Guys that haven't even been to the big leagues yet, and and these they have scouts on that are talking about hit tools and holes in their game and how they project, uh, you know. And you'll hear some of those guys on those podcasts say, "Like I know he's he's raking in Double A, but I I think he's got some flaws and uh, he's going to be an okay player, but I don't think he's going to translate." what you're seeing now on this level, he's not going to be that kind of player. And I, you know, it doesn't mean they're right when these guys are getting paid to, to make these evaluations and determinations. And uh, uh, they've done it for, for, you know, for some of them for a while. And so I'm going to listen to what they say. I don't mean I'll always base any kind of buying decisions on that, but sure, you gotta, you gotta take that in and, and then make your own, sort of evaluation whether you agree or disagree with that but there's if you know there's there's plenty of of information out there um to get sort of that i i you know being a fantasy guy being a baseball fan just in general it's not even a fantasy thing um you know being in a league where you have a minor league draft as well as your your regular league draft like i've always been you know into the minor leagues even back in in the in the eighties, when I was a young dealer, I had monster boxes full of minor league sets. You know, first sets of, of these guys. So I've always you know, had a minor you know, league you, aspect. I'm sorry, John, you have a lot on your eBay page too, don't you? I'll give you a free plug there. Um, yeah, have a, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I try to I try to get them up there. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't have everything that's in my inventory on there. I've actually sort of kind of phase some stuff off too especially on the graded side of the things with with my slabs free free plug mm-hmm. for them but uh you know i, I, uh, I use them as well by the way yep. yeah 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 one percent i mean you can't beat that so um so yeah I've, I've always been kind of a minor league guy uh with even with the cards even with those sets and, and some of those sets you know were team issued there's like less than a thousand of them and uh you know the the Bellingham 87 for for Griffey Piazza's uh, Bakersfield I mean I can I can rattle off uh you know a bunch like that and I was buying those back you know I don't want to say I, I saw it all you know what they would do today but I just knew there's not a ton of these you know and you know with the rookie card craze at some point someone's gonna say hey this is not really the first ever card it's the first main brand, you know, top Fleer, down or score upper deck, but he has a, a card and this was team issued and sold at the stadium. And there's less than a thousand of these. And this is my guy. I got to get that card. And I, I kind of saw that. And so I was in on early on some of those, uh, some of them I probably sold uh, too early. Uh, one, one particular uh, set that comes to mind that I had like double digits of was the, the uh, Tampa Bay uh, Yankees one with Mariano's mm. first card. He looks about, 
if if anyone's familiar with that set, you can eBay it and see see the card. He looks like he's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. He might be 14 years old. I don't know, but <laughs> baby faced. And that set today is I don't know. Up, you know, if, if you grade it and that grades high, it's going to be a four figure card. The sets themselves, even ungraded, are five six hundred dollars. I sold probably the ten I had for. 200 bucks i'm not crying because i probably bought them for 10 20 bucks a piece but you know if i knew like they were going to do what they did now i would have either thought about grading some or or holding on to them and waiting a little bit but i didn't lose obviously i i, I made my but there's a there's a lot of stuff like that and you got to sort of think out of the box a little bit and uh you know i don't, I don't think minor league cards are, are booming but i think certain sets like that are are booming and and if you can figure out you know which one and and kind of get in on that ground level you, you'll be all right but it's you know there's plenty of those minor league sets i have 20 of at uh you know greg vaughn's and even some gary sheffield not that sheffield had a terrible career but was a hundred you know was a hundred two hundred dollar set at one point and now it's 10 20 bucks and it doesn't sell at 10 20 bucks so that you know that's a double-edged sword uh too as well so well we can talk about gary sheffield's uh gold gold <laughs> initial braces another time but uh you know he, he he was actually maybe the best bad speed i've ever seen but uh anyway yeah, uh, yeah, quick well, you have humored me on a journey like i said from the 50s 60s 70s through today and through the prospects and I told you I just wanted to sit, and uh, it's my podcast, so I can say this, shoot the shit, have some fun, and uh, just just enjoy uh, what we get to do. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing you at the National. I, I'm sorry that you're in New York. We don't get to do more shows together, but uh, I, I certainly uh, owe you dinner in, in Atlantic City, and I look forward to seeing you in person. No doubt, no doubt. And, uh, you know, uh, this was a blast. It always is. Anytime you can talk about the hobby with, with anybody it's fun and then with somebody you really like it's even you ramp up the fun meter uh, to the next level and uh, uh time flies uh when when you do when you do these we, we could do probably like you said three four hours we can make this like uh like roots the the hobby version right. like, an eight eight series well, ken, ken ken burns will do a danny and john the ken burns special <laughs> I don't know how the ratings are going to be, but I'm all for it. Let's come on, Ken. Let's go. I, well, I, I say it all the time. If anybody doesn't know, I do radio in Baltimore. I say thousands of people listen to me, just none of them are related to me. My, my family's never heard me once. Yeah, my you know, I, you don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Yeah. Uh, I joke. Uh, my wife, not a card person, like she knows what I do. She knows the podcast. She's supportive. But she doesn't know, like I can hold two cards up and say one of these is a dollar and one of these is $800 pick. She has a 50% chance of getting it right, to be uh-huh. honest, if I give her two options. But she she would be completely guessing in all those cases. Uh, my son does know a little bit about cards. He's not into it in the same way as me. But, I, you know, he might listen every once in a while. But he'll joke around and tell you. We, there's a running joke that, you know, Eric Norton's his favorite podcast because we used to – binge listen to eric but even before i did uh my show uh we when we would travel from you know i'm in syracuse now uh we would travel to, to new york to visit family and we would just uh just binge listen to that and you know he said hey dad with all your experience you could couldn't you do a podcast and i'm like yeah but eric's pretty good 
like I, you know, you know, that's something to think about. And that's a, you know, a longer conversation, but I always credit, you know, Eric Norton as sort of being uh, my inspiration to, to start uh, uh, the podcast. But uh, so I always joke when I have Eric on, uh, like uh, you're my son's favorite podcaster. We, we, we both get a chuckle uh, out of that and, uh, you know, funny moments like that. But uh, it's great, right? Uh, you know, the, the stories and uh, the, the people you meet along the way and uh, getting to know you now. And like you said, we're counting down the days, Danny, to the national. I believe I have a countdown on my on my uh, phone. I think I looked today. It's one, 100 at the time of this recording. We're 117 days away and uh, we're one day closer uh, to it and uh, it's gonna be fun and uh, i can drive uh i can drive to this one uh, i know me too i had for chicago yeah. it was much more expensive last year yeah yeah i can bring like when i fly i don't know about you but i can't bring the stuff i want because i'm trying to do the one the oh. one bag and uh one you know one bag in my backpack and uh you know and so now i can load up uh, the suv my wife's actually going uh on this trip, oh, she so won't see her. Yeah, yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, you won't see her at the show. I don't know. I, I, you won't she, see my wife either. She'll be at the yeah. Beach. yeah. Yep, that's my wife. She, my <laughs> wife's gonna be with an umbrella, her toes in the sand, a book, and a beverage, and it's gonna be a vacation for for her, and it's gonna be fun times uh, for us, and uh, uh, that that's fine by me. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm 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 gonna do uh, you know the thing that that I know you hate when I do it, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw. A little respect because you've paid it forward in your life. You talked about Eric Norton and, and how, you know, that kind of got you started with your son. And I've told this story before when you had me on. Uh, you were certainly a big help to me in relaunching my podcast and uh, kind of guiding me and giving me advice to just kind of be myself and be true to myself and do what I want and don't listen to all the noise uh, yeah. that'll come in. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you are now a regular listener uh, for my daughter and myself when I drive her uh, to carpool in the morning. So, uh, you know, you've become that uh, for her and for me. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here today and loving what I do and, and because, you know, you gave me some great advice. And uh, it, it's very easy for people to tell you what they what they want, what they want to tell you. It, it's very hard to tell people what they yep. need to hear. And uh, I, I really respect that you did that for me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to call you a friend, but you're certainly a giant in this hobby. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, unfortunately, you have no quarterback this year in Pittsburgh. So uh, you're stuck with that. But, uh, well, I was going to say, before you said that, before you said that, then I was going to say, and we proved that a Steeler fan and a Raven fan can coexist and actually be good friends. And then you had to go and drop the. But you know what? I don't know. We're going to see, right? I mean, nothing's guaranteed. Uh, you yep. know, I, I, I can make an argument. We haven't had a great quarterback the last two years. I mean, Roethlisberger, you know, he, having trouble getting the ball vertical and uh i'll say this you know i don't know how trubisky's gonna do i i, I got some faith uh, i but i think he's he'll be able to get the ball uh downfield just hopefully it's in the right color uh, jersey that's the the risk uh there but uh we're, we're starting we're i don't want to say we're starting over but we're, we're sort of reloading i think you may want to we're embrace re the rebuild john <laughs> Yeah, well, it's gonna. You know, I will say this: it's 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 a lot of it's obviously, as you said, it's gonna hinge on that quarterback, how that transition is. If if Trubisky uh, is what I think he potentially could be, my son 
likes him a lot more than I do. I, I don't dislike him, but my son really thinks like it's going to be like, you know, uh, it's going to be very good and, and sort of resurrect his career as a quarterback. I I'm, I won't go that far. I hope he's right, tell you the truth, but uh, I'm not as confident as my son Jordan, but it's worth the flyer. They're not paying him a ton of money. Uh, if if he's a bridge guy to that, you know, that next draft uh, quarterback, then it is. I mean, that's the big fear is, right, we miss with Trubisky mm-hmm. and we miss on a, on a on a draft guy too. And now you're, right. I mean, you're back you at square look, one. Look, are you guys looking to pick it? Is that the rumor? Or? Yeah, my son, you know, Danny, my son doesn't like him. I like – that's the reverse. So I like pick right. it more than he does. It's the whole small – his hands measured small – if you buy into that uh, theory, uh, they love Willis. I just don't think they're not going to get Willis at 20. There's too many teams that uh, I think he's kind of become that that number one guy that people fall in love with, not just the Steelers. So if the Steelers think he's going to drop to 20, I think they're they're fooling themselves. They're, they'll get To me, they'll get Pickett more at 20, and I'm not even sure Pickett will last at 20 either. But they, to me, they have more of a chance at Pickett at 20 uh, then Willis at twenty. Willis, they're almost going to have to uh, trade up and give up some some pick capital. Um, I I like them, um, but you know, I, I this quarterback class is not doesn't knock my socks off. No. Uh, quite frankly, and you know, you never know. Uh, I I've said that before, and it turns out the class turns out to be good. And then there's been you know how this goes, where the class is you know on paper the best quarterback class we've seen. And they fizzle out. So you, you never know. Um, but no one, you know, Willis is probably would be number one uh, on my board, but I don't think he's an automatic home run. And I think you see what, you know, Trevor Lawrence struggled last year, and I think everyone was calling him uh, a transcendent kind of quarterback. I still think he's going to be very good. I, I blame Urban Meyer for yeah. a lot of that yeah. that stuff. So I'm not out on Trevor Lawrence, but I don't, I don't think it, it's very rare that you can – you know, point to a guy, a quarterback, and say for 100% certainty uh, that, uh, you know, it's a no-doubt Hall of Famer before he even gets in the league. And uh, it's, you know, I'm almost, you know, I wanted them to, to, to try to get Rodgers or Russell Wilson just because, you know, I know they're not young, but at least you know they can play. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have faith. Uh, I'm, I don't know how much of an effort they really made in, in those with those particular players. Uh, I think they were in on Jimmy G and then the surgery was announced and I think they were out. And I think they, uh, I think Trubisky was like number one on their free agent list. All those other guys I mentioned uh, had to be traded. And so I think they went to what they viewed was the best available free agent that had some experience. I mean, you look at his record he was 34 and 24 in Chicago. Many people say Matt Nagy is a terrible coach and a quarterback killer. So I'm going to hold out a little faith. I'm sure the Steelers watch plenty. It broke down plenty of film uh, on them before they, they signed them. And, you know, $7 million a year for two years, $14 million. It's worth the, worth the flyer. I thought James Winston would 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 be better, uh, but you know I think we're splitting hairs. I mean it's rebuilding. It's somebody's just a placeholder at this point. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know as crazy it sounds, I you know I think we're the Bengals right now. All of a sudden are like the tour de force in that AFC North. Uh, I don't I don't enjoy saying that, uh, uh, but I I mean right now 
that's that's where we're at. They made the Super Bowl. Um, I I I hate you know I hate my son don't like them, and my son actually will yell at me because I like I don't like the Bengals Jordan, but like I got a thing I, I like Joe Burrow. I know that's sort of like sacrilegious, but there's something about him I just like. I like him. I wish we I wish he was in another. I wish he was in the NFC and I could like him even more. I don't obviously like him at least twice a year. I don't want him to have a good game, but. I like him as a player. I think as crazy as it sounds, Cincinnati has made some some good picks and sort of turned that thing around quickly. And uh, uh, so you know we're gonna save, right? But uh, that uh, you know this division, it's always fun, black and blue uh, division. And and you know let's hey, someone goes down like a burrow. Not that uh, you know I, I hate to root for an injury. That's a terrible thing. It's okay in the AFC North. Yeah, <laughs> but you know he goes down, and and that's probably the end of the Bengals. I mean, you could I, I not you know Lamar Jackson that that was, although Huntley looked pretty good when when he came in, but yeah, we, we lost twenty five guys, not just Lamar. Yeah, yeah, so an injury can change uh, that division. Listen, no one picked the Bengals to to win uh, the AFC North this year, and yet they did, and made the not only win the AFC North but almost win the Super Bowl. Very yeah. close game, and so. That gives me faith as much as I, I don't want to see the Bengals do good. It gives me faith that the Steelers can be down uh, and maybe have a, you know, with the right, with some luck and maybe some good drafts and free agent signings, we can, you know, surprise some people. I'm going to, uh, you know, when season starts off, we're all 0-0, zero, zero, and then uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Well then, then I'll have to have you back uh, maybe next football season, and we'll 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 see where these draft picks have landed, and we'll uh, see see where our teams are. I think it's the first time in a long time we've both drafted in the top twenty. So uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have we'll, to do we'll a get, friendly yeah. bet. We'll have to do a friendly like oh, Ravens Steelers. You know, like they play twice in the regular season. Uh, like if whoever if if someone sweeps. You know, I like think we the Steeler sweep, you have to wear you have to wear a Steeler jersey on <laughs> yep. the show, and I have to come out. I have to be on that show, and yep, vice yep. versa. If the Ravens win both the games, uh, you have to give get me a Ravens jersey, and I have to wear it and and ship it back to you. Uh, well, you know, and, I, I won't do it. I won't edit. I won't edit this out. We got it. We got to bet Ravens Steelers. Loser has to wear the jersey on the other one's podcast. How's that? Yep, on video, and that way, on whenever, yep. whenever we're feeling down, if we get one of those moments, we can turn that <laughs> that YouTube on and just laugh at the other person. And say, all right, so. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, I will definitely have you back during football season. Thank you many times again. Uh, always a pleasure, and uh, I'm sure we will uh, be talking uh, off-air uh, all the way through and uh, the summer and right up until the National. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It was was a pleasure, man. All right, John Newman, the great host of uh, Sports Card Nation, and uh, as he says, the hobby is the people. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, as always. Appreciate it, John. You're welcome. Anytime. Thanks. You know why this podcast sounds so good? Because I work with Leon at Digital Empath Studios, Baltimore's number one podcasting studio. For all your podcasting needs, contact Leon. He will help you get your podcast, your recording, your music career off the ground and in the right direction. He does an incredible job for me and for my podcast, and I know he will for you as well. That's digitalempathstudios.com. Thank you for listening to Sports Bolt, a Baltimore sports collectibles podcast. 
I can be reached on all social media at SportsBalt, and that's S-P-O-R-T-S-B-A-L-T, and online at SportsBalt.com. All opinions expressed on the show are solely mine or that of our guest. No information should be relied on for any investment decisions. Advertising packages are now available. Please contact me for options. Thanks, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.